Would you move in power and would you speak to our hearts that we might uh, be impacted by the love that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do be seated. Well, as you can tell, Chris and I have put on our uh, Sunday best for you. Uh, it's, it's a big day, uh, not just because of uh, the baptisms that we're going to do in a few moments, um, but also because of what today means. So today is um, technically called the first Sunday after Epiphany. And the Feast of Epiphany marks um, uh, the moment that the international diplomatic uh, group arrived to visit the baby. We call them the three magi, but actually it was more of a diplomatic mission. Um, because when rulers come from another land, they don't just rock up anywhere they want in another country. They have to, like, send, you know, get permission. And Anyway, that all, that day was last Thursday. This, um, was it the 6th? Yesterday. No, I don't know what day it is, except that it's Sunday, so welcome. Um, and uh, on the second, on the Sunday after, we all, typically, the church will uh, invite us, the church calendar invites us to look at the baptism of Jesus, and this is why. What does the word epiphany mean? It means uh, the word, it means to manifest or to appear. And so in our context of the, the church year, it's the moment where we uh, consider the fact that Jesus has appeared to us as the Savior of the world. And it's just so helpful, isn't it, um, to have a moment where we recenter ourselves at the beginning of the year and recognize that with everything that's going on, with the illness that we've, most of us have probably battled through during the Christmas break, or whatever's happened, with the expectations of what 2024 will hold, we begin by considering that Jesus remains and is and is even now and will be the savior of the world. So we look at what happened at his baptisms. Um, and so we, if you want to turn with me, it'll just help you and help me stay on course to your bulletin to page four, where you'll find our reading. And so it begins with Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And he was preaching, saying, After me comes he who's mightier than I, and so John has this great expectation for what Jesus will do. He says he's mightier. And by saying that he's mightier, he's connecting Jesus to what was promised by the prophet in Isaiah 40, verse 3. That the coming one will be both human and divine. And John lets us slip by saying that when Messiah, the Savior of the world, comes, he will wear sandals. Maybe that's where we get this permission to think that we can wear Birkenstocks with socks. You know, that God is a God who loves sandals. Um, but it was just the common footwear. It would be probably the same as cowboy boots today if this were rewritten and placed in Texas. But there's this sense of, as John is talking, he's saying that one, the one who's coming, the coming one will be both human, he'll wear sandals, that just like we need to, at some point, take our shoes on and off, 
He will be human like us, but he'll also be divine, which means he will be able to do something that John is not able to do. John was able to do some pretty extraordinary things. But what he was never, he was able to baptize with water and show a way of repentance. But what he's not able to do is to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Who is the Holy Spirit? You might be wondering that. Growing up, I wondered who the Holy Spirit was because I knew two things from my childhood. Not to play with fire, and I shouldn't throw rocks at birds. Well, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was referred to as an all-consuming fire. You know, in the mortal words of MC Hammer, can't touch this. There may be more humor. I know, it's early. Um, but, and a bird at his baptism, and I shouldn't throw rocks at seagulls, even though, you know, one could make a case for it. And so it's wrapped up with this, I don't know if you're in the same boat. You know, how does Holy Spirit fit in my life today? Well, what we see here is the promise of the Holy Spirit is the great promise of the Old Testament. And I've got four cross, I know some of you love cross references, so I have four of them for you. The first reference comes uh, again from the prophet Isaiah or Isaiah 32:15, which says that when the promised Holy Spirit comes, he's not one who will only defend his people, but will also enrich them with new life. Isaiah says, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. He's one who comes to reverse disaster and calamity. So I don't know what you're facing this year or what you expect or what you're bracing for, but this promise that this revelation, this appearing of Jesus as Savior of the world is one who can reverse disaster. Who not only reverses disaster, but he also enriches life. The second reference is to Isaiah 44, verse 3. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offering and my blessing on your descendants. The message here is clear once you dive into it is that utter destruction is reversed under the outpouring of the Spirit so that the people who are under hardship come into a place uh, not just of breaking even but begin to thrive and to multiply, and the blessing that God works in their lives begins to roll down to further generations. Two more, and then, then we're almost done. And then in Ezekiel, we have this promise. The third reference is Ezekiel 11, verses, verse 19. It says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit, uh, and a new spirit I'll put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh. The message in Ezekiel is that until then they were looking to the temple, to a building to be a place of sanctuary. All of their hopes had been placed on a building that had been destroyed. And so how can we hope once our very object of hope is removed? And here the prophet says the real hope is not the temple, but God himself. 
which is powerful for us because we are so tempted to put our hope in other things. I mean, if you read the language, I'm sure all of you did because you're better read than I am, of the market reports leading up to Christmas, our hope, the hope of our culture was placed that interest rates would begin to go down and that we would have a soft landing and not go into a recession. That's, that was the language where all the hope and disappointment up until Christmas was, was laid in. Am I, am I wrong? I don't think I am. But there's another hope. Because ultimately, we, we have no power. I have no power. I've not yet discovered the power to affect the financial markets globally. But there is another source of hope who's independent of the financial markets, who works in them and through them, but is not directly tied to them, and he is Jesus Christ, who has appeared to us as a savior of the world. And our sanctuary is to be found in him. The new reality is marked by a new spirit and a heart of flesh provided by God himself. Okay, last one. Joel chapter 2, and this is where it gets really offensive to some in the time of Jesus. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, the prophet says, And it will come to pass that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. The idea of an elite class of religious purveyor of goods is destroyed. Because what was reserved for only a select few is now available to all. To those uh, institutions that have become ageist, the Holy Spirit comes to the old and says the best is yet to come. To the young, it's you do not have a junior Holy Spirit. Uh, to women, the Holy Spirit comes upon you like he does men. It doesn't just rest on you, but is in you and through you. And so the divides between gender are breached by the presence of God, by this one who has appeared to us as the Savior of the world. The intellectual and those who never graduated from high school, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit comes to you, but bridges the educational divide, bridges the economic divide. He bridges all divisions. And what is the point? The point is that all who receive him receive an ability to have intimate communication with him. So when John says, one who is mightier than I will come, who I can't untie, I'm not even worthy to untie sandals, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's what salvation looks like. Looks like a sanctuary, a man who will enable us to speak to God, who is not just in heaven, but who is very close face to face like a friend speaks to another. He's one who we can run to and who will offer sanctuary when things are difficult. He's one who speaks hope in the most dire of situations, and he's the one who can reverse calamity and destruction. And so in verse 9 we read, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee 
and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Which begs the question, why? Why did Jesus need to be baptized? A great question that you should ask Chris later. Um, Because he has the answer. But the whole point is, in order for Jesus to bring what was promised, he first has to identify with us. And so Jesus identifies with the sins of his people, even though he himself is free from sin. Didn't have to, but he does it. And he does it for this reason. Let me use a simple illustration. Imagine I am my hand, and God's on the ceiling somewhere. Shortly after my birth, I probably had a good run. Three weeks after my birth, I did something sinful. Um, and all of a sudden, sin comes into the equation, and there's now a barrier between what I'm now separated from God. There's something in the way. And Jesus comes and lives this sinless life and yet identifies very closely with us and takes upon himself in the crucifixion all that we deserved. And I'll tell you, though I'm wearing white with a few coffee stains thanks to a spectacular miscoordination this morning, uh, I earned all of the judgment that was coming for me. I earned it spectacularly. And yet what Jesus has done is he's taken upon himself what I deserved, which crushed him. He died on the cross. His body was broken. But what it's left with me is that all of a sudden there's nothing separating me from God. And what was only reserved to the sinless one, to the Son of God, is now available to me. And if he's available to me, it's also available to you. That's why Epiphany is a big day. Because he has appeared to us as the Savior of the world, and he's done what no leader on earth has ever done. He has made a way for all to be redeemed and for us to find freedom from sin. And so he identified with the sins of his people. And then we get to verse 11. He came up out of the water, and we discover one of Mark's favorite words. Immediately, or at once, immediately appears in Mark's gospel 66 times, which gives us a sense that there was great pace and urgency, but what also it introduces this idea that the ministry of Jesus was filled with surprising events because he kept doing what was counterintuitive. And he came out of the water and immediately... He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Kind of strange. Not something you see. The normal expectation when you're baptized is that at some point water hits your body. And it's very normal for children to cry. It's very normal for them not to cry. And out of his grace, God does not let us see what's happening behind the curtain. Here, though, we get a sense of what happens to Jesus. The Spirit of God descends upon Jesus in his baptism. And everything that was promised in the Old Testament is bestowed upon him. Good question. Did he need it? Eh. We could debate it. But because he identifies with us and our sin, he receives the fullness of the Holy Spirit to make a way for you and I to receive it as well. 
And so the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus and his baptism. Jesus is then commissioned for a unique service to save humanity, the Savior of the world. And so it becomes clear here that there is going to be a claim made in Mark's gospel, which is that Jesus is the Son of God, and what's not expected is that he's not just the Son of God, but he's the servant of God. And that's what's so spectacular, is that we have the Savior of the world comes to us in the shape and the form of a servant. Maybe that's what our leaders will be like in 2024. They will be a hallmark of service. That's my prayer for us as a church leadership, that we will continue to be empowered by the Spirit to serve. But then there's an exclamation point at the end of the baptism in verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. In a moment, we're going to have two children come up, and we're going to baptize them, and afterwards their parents are going to look them in the eye and say, now we've baptized you, and you have to earn our love by living a certain life. You will be, mean nothing to me unless you earn my love. Well, of course not. No one says that. And what we have to learn, and what's so arresting here, is that Jesus, before he does anything for God, receives the full love and affection of the Lord. And the same is true for us. So if you're visiting, welcome. If you've been coming for a while, welcome. As, we about, as we're about to transition now into the baptisms, Take note of what has appeared, who has appeared to us, Jesus, as a savior of the world, who comes to us as a servant, so that we might receive all that was reserved for him, but is now for us because of our belief in him. One of the ways, just before I close with the prayer, that we're going to do this is in the new year, coming very shortly, you'll hear a bit more from it from Chris, and it's in your bulletin, we're doing this thing called the Deeply Formed Life. And it's really to prepare us as a church and look at the values that are needed in the community so that we can embrace the radical middle. And if we do it right, everyone will be upset because we're reading this, we're going to read this book together and we're going to gather and discuss it together and it's going to hit all of the major topics. It's going to hit topics of racial justice, it's going to hit topics of sexuality, it's going to hit topics of contemplative rhythms and it will not be for anyone enough. It's not going to be enough on the left, it's not going to be enough on the right, it's going to be right down the middle. Why? Because the worshiping community has always been a place where people can come and disagree on issues but still be united in their belief and worship of Jesus. And so that's the experiment. And it's either going to go spectacularly well or have an, be an incredible flounder. Um, and what we're doing is we're marrying Alpha, the Alpha Course, with public theology. And we try to come up with a cool name like Plalfa, but it just didn't work. <laughs> so we're just going with deeply formed life 
Because if this is true, what I've said today, and I've not added much of my own, it's all from the text, you can read it on your own, this doesn't just begin to heal our lives or our community, this stuff begins to transform it so that we're no longer just ourselves, but we're becoming transformed in the likeness of Jesus. And that's what the world needs. Healing, but the healing that tips into transformation. So why don't you stand, no, stay seated. Just seeing if you're listening. Let me pray, and I'll hand over to Chris for the baptisms. Lord, on this first Sunday of 2024, we look to you as the Savior of the world. And we declare that we need your help. We need your leading. We need all that you've promised to us in a way that won't just help us heal, but that will also transform us into your likeness. And yes, we say that as individuals, but we also say that as a worshiping community, and we long to see that for our city. That East Dallas and even the city of Dallas, our prayer is that it would become a city at peace with itself. And so, Lord, while we may not be able to control these things, these big things happening in the world, we can offer you our heart. And so even now, Lord, in the quiet of our hearts, we offer, you the, we offer them to you and ask that you would move and reveal to us and manifest to us, appear to us as not just the Savior of the world, but the one who has come to save us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.